Hi, welcome to Comics Unscripted, the podcast from Foreign Press Comics. I'm your host, Kyler Merrill, and today we have Jeffrey Durant. He is the writer of Ghost Planet. It's um, uh, Ashcan. We'll talk about that one shot, I guess, coming from Scout with artist Sean Von Gorman. Uh, FOC um, uh, final order cutoff has already passed by the time this comes out, but it releases on October 19th. Um, how are you doing, Jeffrey? I'm doing very well, thank you. Uh, how are you doing? A uh, little bit of all right. Uh, it's it's been a. It's, we're recording this on Labor Day, so um, I'm just. I don't know. I'm just exhausted. I don't know what it is. The last like three days, I've just been. I cannot get enough sleep. But yeah, we tried to have the day off. Up, oh, uh, I have a four year old daughter, and we went to the park and stuff, but we kind of ran out of time, so we rushed back. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, here we are. And she's probably going to come in and interrupt every once in a while, so I apologize for that in advance. <laughs> no worries, no worries. All I did was I walked to my grandpa's house, which is about two miles away, just just because. And so I do that every once in a while, just to like you know get some get my steps in, I guess. But sure. um, that's that's all I've done today. So I guess it's it's been pretty good. And then I watched some Except sandwiches. Labor Day then. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so like we said, you are the writer of uh, Ghost Planet. It. Um, like we, we, we already said all the, all the release dates. Um, yeah. so why don't you go ahead and start by telling us just a little bit about, um, what that is. Sure. Well, uh, you know, the ash can is already available. That was an eight page preview that you could, you can get from Scout comics now if you like, but, uh, ghost planet is a 40 page done in one sci-fi horror story. Uh, it's got, um, a classic sci-fi vibe, but with a body horror twist and it's about this family of deep space explorers who discover this planet that seems like, uh, you know, they're, they live on a generational ship and, uh, and they are essentially a family of scouts and scientists. And so they go to this, they find uh, a planet that looks like inhabitable. We don't know. We, we know they're looking for a place that they can, their society can go live. And that's about it. And so, um, you know, it kind of has a lost in space vibe. Uh, and then they get down to this planet and uh, one of their crew dies. And then soon after that, uh, the fiance to that crew member starts to see that crew member and uh, hence the title Ghost Planet. Yeah. So um, like I got to read the ash can and I was already intrigued. I didn't realize that that was. Um, excuse me. I didn't realize that that was the um, that was that there was more to it until today when I went and looked at the previews link and I saw that it's a whole one shot. So I was I was pleasantly surprised by that. So you had only read the eight pages or whatever. Yeah. Gotcha. I think that's all you sent me. Yeah. Okay. And so, which yeah. is fine. It, I'm not like, I'm not trying to complain or anything, but um, yeah. So I just didn't realize that there was more. And I was just, when I saw that there was 40 pages, I was like, Oh, that makes a lot more sense. Cause like, I was like, <laughs> it, it ends on a, like a good, like, even if you left it at that eight pages, like I was like, okay, that's a good, you know, it's a good get like a good, um, you know, cliffhanger ending. I was like, okay. Yeah. But I was that's like, I, that I feel is. like that's there like should that be. First. That yeah. First cliffhanger there, yeah. But I still felt like I feel like there should be more. So when I found <laughs> out that there was, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that yeah. sound that makes more sense. Um, but why don't you um, like go ahead and tell us like where was where, how did you like start? Um, how, or first, let's start with you. Like, how did you start getting into comics and start creating comics? Um, in undergrad at University of Texas at Austin, I was, my plan was always to become a PhD in English or what have you. Go ahead. Yeah. 
No, I'm sorry if anybody heard me. I don't. I said ew when you said Texas. I'm, oh. I'm, I'm, I'm in Oklahoma. I didn't know if anybody heard that, and I wanted to make myself clear before somebody just like heard me say ew and was like, "He's being a dick today." No, I'm from, I'm from Oklahoma, so I had okay. to say that. Um, so a, a OU fan, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So off the home go ahead. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, so. Uh, yeah, so, um, and I had first started, so, you know, that was when I was in college when, like, Ultimates was hitting. Uh, I was finishing up college, like, in, the, you know, the, in around 2000. And, and uh, I, so I first started experimenting with scripts then. Uh, I was always a super comics fan. I thought I, when I was younger, I thought I'd be grow up to be a comics artist. I was already always telling stories. Um, and then in undergrad, I got into prose writing. I got into grad school. Uh, uh, I have my MFA in fiction writing from Brooklyn College, so I moved to New York City uh, back in 2004 to attend school, to attend graduate studies. And soon after that is when I first got my first comics job. I had a friend who was an editor at uh, Details Magazine, a now defunct uh, print magazine that was very popular in the 90s. And she knew, she had just seen Sin City and knew I liked comics, and she was an editor there, and she came, she at a party later that night was like, you like comics, right? I want to do Sin City, but as an ad for beer in Details Magazine. And I said, I'm down. Uh, and so I pitched things and it ran this series. It ended up going to Amstel Light. And it was the series of three comics that ran monthly. That was a paid advertisement for Amstel Light called Adventures and Tasteful Living. Um, and so uh, I had pitched these things The I had shown them this. I had made this uh, or pitched this like superhero bar type of story, uh, which is like a, a common trope. And uh, so that got me the job. But then the, then when it once a beat, once Amstel was brought in, they didn't want to do that. And so I had to pitch some new ideas. They picked one and we went from there. And so that was my f- first paid comics work in like 2005, 2006. Uh, and then from that, I got a publishing deal from Oni Press for uh, what became a 160-page graphic novel called Odd and the Odd Squad that was released in 2015. And so I've just been plugging away since then, since like 2006. I was self-publishing back then. Uh, for I have a I had a, a sci-fi rock band called Americans UK, um, and I would self-publish our science fiction adventures, uh, starring the real like band my bandmates as the characters. So I was self-publishing that, and then Odd Schnoz was kind of like an all-age version of that. Whereas Americans UK had swearing and drug use and all yeah. that, this Odd Schnoz was more teen-friendly. A group of teen punk bands in Plano, Texas, which is where I grew up, uh, having sci-fi adventures. That's um, so like. What exact like do you is there any like um crossover between um the the band side of things and like your comic side of things like other than like the obvious like sci-fi of it all? Well, uh, yeah, totally. I mean, we would all most of our songs were had a sci-fi bent and told um a story within themselves. So if you find us on on YouTube, you can see we would turn the comic books into music videos because the the lyrics would become the caption boxes and dialogue to the comics themselves. And so we would just kind of like, you know, pan and scan them sort of like those old uh, Kirby Lee sixties, Marvel cartoons sort of, or, mm-hmm. you know, with some limited animation uh, and, and make uh, 
comic book music. We would dress very comic booky. For we would dress up in domino masks and capes for a while. Then we had a post-apocalyptic era where we were wearing furs, and instead of masks, we'd have you know black charcoal over our eyes and stuff like that. So yes, it was tied into the comics greatly. But what about like the 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 writing side of it, like? writing like were you doing a lot of writing songs and things or uh for sure um well i would say both my music and uh, you know my rock music and uh, so i was the front man and lead singer i wrote uh, i co-wrote the songs but i always had to have a, a co-writer uh that co-writer for most of the time was uh, uh john thomas jtr3 uh, John Thomas Robinette the third he uh, uh, produced and and co-wrote a couple of the records we made and uh, so JTR three with that sort of name he became the android in the comic book with robot power or, you know he's a robot drummer with robot arms and mm-hmm. things like that so they would tie in like that and I would say you know I try to like I said with the with the music you know I try to tell a full story in the in, in these songs. And then, you know, I get a lot of short story and anthology work. And so I try to tell uh, big beat full stories there too. Or, you know, Ajnaut, most of my comics have like pretty heavy, uh, um, I don't know, cliffhangers and, and big beats every five, 10 pages. Uh, so kind of like you saw with Ghost Planet, they become kind of modular and they, they like any one section could be a little short story or, or cliffhanger on its own. Um, and so, I don't know, at the time I felt that was a similar way about my songs too. I was trying to do like big beat songs with an arc and it's the same with my comics. Every page has an arc, every, uh, you know, and every five pages comes a, a splash page or a, a, um, a cliffhanger of sorts oftentimes. And so, yeah, it has that kind of like, uh, I think I have, one of my strengths in writing is definitely for comics is pacing. And I think, um, I don't know, it, I, I feel there's a musicality there and a structure there that, that follows. That's that's really interesting. I'm sorry. I was also just looking at, like, you, you on the top of your other comics work, like, we were, I was looking at some of your other stuff on your website, and you, you have a surprise, like, a very extensive backlog of, like, stories that you've written. Yeah. And, um, like, you're in the, like, the twi- I just, I see the Twisting Time Anthology, which I've already, um, I, I backed. I don't know if I ever read it. I know I backed it. I don't know. <laughs> Um, and then, but no, a lot of stuff like, um, a lot of stuff for heavy metal, um, some, uh, another book that was with heavy metal in collaboration with, uh, Megadeth. Yeah. Um, that Megadeth thing, man, that was a, that was a trip. Uh, David would give, uh, would give prompts for like each song that he wrote and you could, and we had, there was like a Dropbox folder with him describing, and it was a bunch of people literally pitching all at once. So. I was pitching, uh, I pitched one story and they were like, okay, it's good to go. And then I was at lunch break at work and all of a sudden I get a text like, sorry, that one's already taken up now. So now I'm like in real time leaving the restaurant I'm in uh, with my coworkers on the phone, listening to the other ones that are available and pitched in real time. And it was Dave Mustaine himself who said, gave the thumbs up or thumbs down. And so I don't know if I'd been a little lazier or I was like, oh, well, didn't get that one. Then we wouldn't have gotten that one. But I got the no and within 10 minutes was had typed up a different pitch on my phone in a restaurant. And we got that one with, uh, nice. with the artist Jason Gungor. Yeah. 
That's pretty good. Uh, another thing that I'm just, I'm just, I'm just scrolling and just sure. gonna ask things I see. This is not your first time working with Sean. Like you have, you've worked with him yeah. a significant amount of time. So like how, um, first of all, how did you get like connected with him? And then um, how has, uh, and then how, what's your collaborative process like? And how has it changed? That's a long question. Just go ahead and start by just telling me sure, like, sure, how sure, you get no with problem. him. Yeah. Hey, well, so, you know, I'm in, uh, I would say I'm in the New York comic scene. Um, so, and a big part of that uh, for me is my buddy, Dean Haspiel, uh, cartoonist Dean Haspiel. Um, I, I feel like um, more than a friend, he's often been a mentor to me and brought me into these groups um, in which, you know, uh, Sean also was in those circles. Um, you know, he's uh, a new, uh, we're both Brooklyn comics makers. Um, Dean, uh, the, the late, great Seth Kushner, and uh, n- now I think three-time Ringo-nominated writer as of this week, Chris Miscevich. We all had a, um, what we called a digital magazine in the mid-aughties called Trip City, uh, where we were running daily comics and prose stories. It was the idea it was supposed to be a digital literary salon. We ran that for, I don't know, two or three years. That really ingrained me more into the New York comic scene because now I was an editor of sorts where people are sending me stuff and were working with me to get it up on the site. And so it was a lot of it was just about like showing up, showing up at at comic book parties and after parties and editors birthday parties and you know we're all showing up at these same things so so sean is a collaborator i work with regularly and it's because we met each other at um i be- i mean i knew who he was prior uh i uh but i i think i met him for the first time at like a comic book gallery show you know um and because you know all the same people we were in conversation. We talked about working together. And then at New York Comic Con one year, I ran into Mark and Draco, who I'd had lunch with um, in a couple years before, who was then putting together the Love is Love anthology, which was a mm-hmm. big hit. Yeah, New I saw Times that. Bestseller. Um, it was, you know, uh, all pro. It was co-published by DC and IDW, and all proceeds went to the that nightclub. Uh, yeah, the. the- Pulse nightclub in Orlando. Yeah, I, I have it on my shelf. Yeah, I, I I recently looked at it when I moved on. I moved my shelf recently, so I was <laughs> I skimmed through all my books when I do that, and that was one of the ones I I really like that book. It's really really good. So our first coll- Sean and my first collaboration is in that book. Really, um, we, we were at uh, I was at New York Comic Con. I ran into Mark Dean. Dean like is always sweet and hooking me up with stuff. He's like, hey, you should talk to Mark about the anthology. I did. He said, okay, you have until, I think, you know, it was like a Thursday or Friday at New York Comic Con. We had till next Friday to not only pitch, but to basically get line work done. Uh, And it wasn't a done deal either. It was not like, okay, you're in. It was like, okay, submit a finished comic and we'll see. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we did. And ours was what Mark liked about ours. Ours was uh, based on uh, a public domain character called a rainbow boy. Um, who, uh, and so, uh, Sean had a, um, uh, he had been just redrawing this character on his own just for Instagram and stuff and like doing a kind of updated character design. Um, and so rainbow boy seemed to fit in an anthology about that, uh, that was designed to, uh, help victims of this tragedy strategy. I mean, this tragedy against, uh, uh, LGBTQ, uh, um, uh, 
persons. And yeah. so um, it was just a natural fit. So and it was also a different tone, you know, uh, than the rest of the stories. It was a little more humorous and lighter. And Mark really liked that because it mixed up the tone in his anthology that he was putting together a little bit. And so we just squeaked in at the last minute. Um, you know, and uh, so literally after talking to Mark, I ran into Sean and I said, Sean, do you want to do this thing? Like, I, I guess I could have ran into a different artist who was yeah. to be available, but we did. And then it became a thing. Then uh, another anthology popped up. We made another rainbow story for them. Then we turned it into a pitch. Uh, the pitch didn't take off. Uh, but then years later, when uh, there was the opportunity to do Ghost Planet, uh, he was the first person I reached out to. Uh, and we and we did it. And we um, it was originally there was a webtoons uh, contest right at the beginning of uh, lockdown for the pandemic. And Mark, I think it launched in like May or June 2020. So I talked to him in March, saying I have, I have this idea that I, I you know, um, I was a pr primarily a prose writer when I was in undergrad and um, uh, um, graduate school. And so I often mine story, mine stories that were never completed in prose or even were completed in prose um, uh, for my comics work also. And so Ghost Planet was one of those. I just had based a story on the title, a prose story, kind of had never finished it, but then had had a good basis for, hey, we need to make this thing quickly because I already had the plot and the, and the ending mostly. And so... And we just made it. And uh, and then we didn't finish. We got uh, censored. We got taken off the site uh, by Webtoons because we have a corpse who we have, who's naked. And we had carefully covered his private parts. Uh, but they thought it was a censor bar. So in Webtoons, you're allowed to like cover nudity with natural things like smoke. Um, but you can't use just like a sensor bar, like you might on a, in a like a punk rock uh, album mm -hmm. cover. Yeah. And so they saw we had a squared lamp covering his his uh, private his dead private mm -hmm. parts. Yeah, they saw that lamp as a sensor bar instead, mm -hmm. even though it wasn't, even though it was clearly in the previous yeah. panel, just happened to be placed. And then that really took the wind out. I mean, we were supposed yeah. to submit our final chapter on that Monday. They have locked our account over the weekend. It's the weekend now. They're not getting back to us. They're at West Coast, if not in you know at best. So they're yeah. and we're in New York. So um, so we didn't finish the contest, but we finished the comic and we pitched it all around. We had uh, two yeses and scout was kind of the bigger of the two so we went with them cool and so like did you approach scout or did they like come to Total you blind submission blind submission on the website yeah i didn't realize they were i i guess i i didn't know they were taking one shots but i mean i don't know um i haven't paid yeah, like uh, have you seen commander rao uh, oh we, that's true yeah commander rao you're right yeah, yeah that's yeah right. i knew that they're, so I think that, you know, Scout is great and I think they will take whatever they think they can sell. And I yeah. think in, in, in recent times, I think there is this, uh, this reach for shorter work for mm -hmm. 40 to age page things. Um, and I've heard that from retailers too. I see retailers get a little excited when I tell them it's a 40 page done in one, because it seems like they're more confident that they can sell it rather than, a five yeah. issue thing where uh, half the people that might be interested are going to wait for the trade anyway. Yeah. That's what I, um, that's what I was going to say is like, that's when I've tried to sell my comics to people the the two comics I've printed are one shots 
And so they've all, that's when I tell them it's a one shot, people have de- their ears have definitely perked up. Yeah. Um, but one other thing that I just, I just thought of that I, I don't, it doesn't really pertain to like anything particularly. I just thought it was interesting. I recently put out a, a blog post on my website that was just, um, I put a, an interview questionnaire out to like a hundred something comic shops and just compiled all the information about how to help people get their books into shops. And one of the people I read, and this was actually, this was interesting to me and it kind of makes sense. It kind of doesn't, but, um, one of them, or I think it was more than, I don't remember. It was, it wasn't very many, but one of them specifically said they will not carry scout books because, because, um, or they won't carry scout books because what scout does is they buy something, print the first issue, and then they print a trade. They don't print issues one, two, three, four. And so I guess for stores, I guess that was in, interrupting them. I just thought it was interesting um, to think about. But you obviously don't have that problem. Right, right, right. And I'm not sure. I don't think. I, uh, is that Scout or isn't that? That's. I thought that was. Um, uh, I thought that was a different publisher. The store that was. I thought it was Scout. Scout. It might not be. Because it's Scout that they won't. Um, they keep number one in print until like two is out or so they have they do have a different structure but i don't yeah. think they're the one i think that's tko that does the it, yeah the first gonna, issue and then straight TKO, to i don't know let me let me um scout uh, because initially we were talking to them about we were initially maybe going to release ghost planet as two issues split it up 20 pages add some back matter um and that was on the table for a while. So I think you made yeah. the right choice. Um, <laughs> I think so. Too. That was yeah. Really just, just in terms, yeah. And just in terms of like, I just think that I like, I'm also like we said, like I'm a big fan of like the one shot. I think mm. that that's like losing its place kind of. Cause yeah. I don't know. I feel like a lot of people, I don't know. There's a, there's still a very good place for sh- one and done short stories that I think, um, you know, isn't used enough. Um, but so we've talked a lot about other stuff and I want to um, kind of get onto um, the, um, the um, uh, into onto ghost planet. And so um, I know that like in one of your other, I know I just said, I'm going to change the subject, but I'm kind of not <laughs> okay. in one of your other books, uh, killer bad, which was just on Kickstarter. Um, yeah. You've mentioned, you said like specifically that was inspired by a love of nineties comics. And so sure. what was, um, was what kind of, uh, media or comics or anything were um, uh, inspiring uh, uh, Ghost Planet? Uh, definitely. It's, you know, it's a mix of 60s sci-fi as though John Carpenter were directing, right? Like, I think that's the main inspiration. And I think that's where Sean's uh, art, art style really came in great because it really does portray this kind of like lost, like, almost like a 60s style original Star Trek. And he's doing Star Trek covers now for IDW, by the way, which is great. Um, and, uh, that come out at the same time. And then, um, and like a Lost in Planet, uh, uh, you know, kind of classic, you know, nothing, the tech looks kind of 60s in our book. Yeah. You know, they're wearing like traditional astronaut kind of outfits that you know they don't look like say halo characters or something yeah. you know uh everything looks um a little uh, i don't know a little dorky and clunky and uh uh you know boxy um like our robots are just these little uh 
almost like vertical monitor on wheels that walks yeah. up and, and, and helps you out. So um, it has this, this, that classic look. And then we bring in kind of the shock and, and gore at times of a, of, of, you know, of an, of an it. Say. Yeah. I mean, like um, it does have that, like, it, it has that very smooth look that like a lot of old, like you said, Star Trek has, looks very smooth compared to like modern sci-fi. You mentioned Halo, like it all looks, it's very like overcomplicated, yeah, you know, exactly. and, like super yeah, yeah. complex. And like, this is very much that old fashioned smooth look to it, which I think is really, I think is really yeah. good. Um, one last question on the subject of Sean. Um, what, how is your, you've been collaborating with him for a long time now. Um, how has your process changed as far as like the way that you two work together and the way that you two collaborate? How has it changed over time of of going from those early comics to now having a comic for Scout? Like you're, the way you collaborate with each other. Well, this is the longest one we've done, right? Forty. The, the first one was one page and then we have a five pager and then we've got an, like an 80 pager that I've written. That was Sean's idea that I'm he kind of passed the baton to me and then we've yet to begin production production further than that but so like even rainbow boy a lot of it you know the for, for those first few things uh for the rainbow boy thing and for this other story that no one knows about sean was kind of like the launching pad of ideas there um and then in this one uh was mine it was my it was my baby uh that um the initial idea and the in the in the plot and everything, um, and then I think moving forward, if we if we if we get a sequel, say, um, Sean and I are bouncing ideas off of each other now, so we're collaborating more on the story uh, rather than uh, like we did both for in Rainbow for the Rainbow Boy stories, rather than it just being writer driven, like kind of this first Ghost Planet was. It was pretty writer driven. I had a strong idea. Um, it, you know, I, I'm really proud of how, I mean, our book is like clockwork. Like we get a lot done in these 40 pages, but still let it breathe with some splash pages and stuff. And I'm really proud, especially going back by how kind of like, other than that, I used this old story. We kind of made this at a breakneck speed. I was like finishing scripts before he was drawing them before he was submitting them to webtoons and then we were moving on like i was maybe a chapter ahead of him uh so there wasn't really that you know the editing was happening on the artistic side like i'm gonna remove a panel here or whatever and then that was about it and so we and we were submitting uh, completed work to publishers which i you know find very helpful i think that the you know, a, a lot of people are still kind of locked in this, like, okay, I'll submit five pages and a, and a plot. And um, unless you're a known entity, I don't think that's a successful strategy anymore. Now, I'm sure uh, anybody will have an example that will, that, will, that will prove me wrong. But I think for the most part, especially if you're an unknown entity, you uh, are submitting, if not finished work, I mean, you got to have like, if, if you got like a five issue series, you need to have three in the can before they're going to even let you sign a contract at that in yeah. the comics level because uh, they don't. Nobody thinks you're going to finish your five issue comic. Yeah, comic. I mean, and like that's kind of, kind of what we, uh, you know, I just for Forum Press, I just I opened submissions. I don't know about two three months ago now at this point, and like I said, I wanted um, at minimum five pages. 
but it could be as much as you wanted just because, but with the caveat that those five pages needed to be something that you could actually establish something with, you know, it, 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 it wasn't just a random scene. It needed to be something of substance, you know? And so I felt like that was a good balance, but I do honestly kind of prefer when there's like at least, you know, like an issue or like half an issue at least, you know, because that gives me a better idea of how like consistent your work is and like what exactly uh, people are looking for. Um, But that's not to, you know, argue with you or anything, because I definitely agree that there is a lot of um, uncertainty, especially with unknown creators. Well, look, I have examples in my publishing career that completely completely blow out of the water what I just said. Yeah. um, I've had my uh, Ajnaz was accepted uh, with no artist attached um, and for by Oni. Um, I signed a contract before we even had an artist attached. Uh, And then same, I, uh, well, I have an artist uh, friend named uh, Kenny Million also in the New York comic scene. We pitched to Band of Bards with a 10-page script and um, some character designs, and they said yes. So, look, it's not uh, um, it's not beyond the pale, but also there's something to be said for when you get a pitch from me and you visit my website, you get to see this list of completed work. Yeah, um, I assume that that Band of Bards. Has, you know, I assume that Band of Bards announcement hasn't. I haven't heard. Have you? Is that like? Is that public information? Uh, they said I could talk about, but no, there hasn't been any, this is going to come out. We're scheduled for 2024. Yeah. Like three weeks from now. So we're not, there's not like, we're not pushing this or publicizing it. I, Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. uh, We're not going to even launch to, uh, till 2024. So you're not going to hear about it. Yeah. But, but they also said, you know, I asked about this. We signed a, we signed a contract and I was like, am I allowed to talk about this? He's like, yeah, we don't, yeah, we don't. Yeah. About that part. yeah, no, I wasn't trying to give you a hard time. I was just saying, I, I, I just, you know, that as being someone else who is also in the indie comics community, I like to, you know, just to see what other people are doing and what other people are putting out and things like that. So I was just, yeah, if, I if they that. hadn't said, yes, you can talk about this, mm-hmm. I wouldn't because yeah. uh, I've definitely had other publishers say mum's the word. Yeah. Or I've gotten, I, I've even had like where I didn't even like reference what I was talking about and still get a dm saying hey are you talking and i'm like okay i'm like i wasn't even you know it was very very vague but whatever yeah <laughs> um, all right so but band of bards so i made it a point to ask this time like yeah can I talk about this and you're like, yes of course yeah better to know than to you know mess up yeah um so real quick we'll take a really quick break and then we will be right back all right and we're back um so kind of to uh, one question i had about ghost planet um the book has some um, has a really interesting color choices. Like I just, I really am a fan of that that style. And so, was that like was that all Sean or all Sean? Really, and, and absolutely brilliant. I think you'll really see. I mean, you, you saw it some in that eight pages, but you can just see how it just you get the emotion and tone of a scene just by some of those color choices, which you know, from a production perspective, it just make brings down costs. Like it's not traditionally colored. It's just laying a flat color over, over inks and maybe some, and probably fiddling with it in, in Photoshop a little bit or whatever to create some, some shadings yeah. and stuff. But yeah, it's panel to panel. Sometimes it's whole pages. And I thought it was truly brilliant. And I would, I think, uh, mo- uh, you know, we, I think I would like, 
to continue that way because I think it really elevates the story in a way. It makes it a little more arty, like art. It makes it like art house kind of uh, in a way. Uh, I, I thought it was just a brilliant choice, and it just solved a lot of problems for us, um, including sometimes like we we use it for lighting. Sometimes there's a scene uh, uh, right before one of the big scares happens where uh, our our the, the young woman who becomes the, the the lead and sort of the final girl of the story, um, uh, you know, it's just turning the lights on and off before uh, going to sleep. So you get to see it go from sky blue to dark purple when her eyes are out, then something scary happens and it changes back to light blue and then you turn and it's the scary red. And, um, I don't know. I, it, it added so much, uh, to the story that I, I was actually, I was really blown away by the choice and um, I'm glad uh, everyone is, is, is noticing that. I think it's probably what helped sell it, honestly. Yeah. It definitely gives the book a, um, like a, a stylistic and also a very unique look. Mm-hmm. And because it's, it's not, it's not either a black and white or B like completely colored. And so it's like, I don't know. It just gives it a very distinct, distinct. That's the word I was thinking of. It gives it a very yeah. distinctive look that I think helps to, um, kind of give it an identity, if that makes sense. A hundred percent. Yeah. And yeah. And, and, and it just works in different ways. There's times where we use it to, to denote time has passed. There's a page where this thing happens clearly at night and then you turn the page and the stabbing shot, everything's yellow. There's sun, two suns in the sky and you're like, Oh, it's morning. And we don't need a caption box that says the next day or whatever. It's just, uh, it's made clear by the choice of coloring it yellow with a sun in the background, you know? Um, and if we, and if Sean had picked red or purple or another one of those colors in that moment, it probably wouldn't have worked as well because you wouldn't have gotten that sense of time, but we don't use it like that every time. It's um, usually emotional, you know, there's kind of our neutral colors that are blue, blue, everything's kind of hunky dory. Purple is like, uh, you know, normal happenings, and then you know, red is red is usually pretty bad. Yellow is really sweet and nice and pretty. Yeah, like, ooh, we're exploring the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you know, you're, and I think you're just as a reader, you just lock into that that feeling automatically without thinking about it. Mm-hmm. It definitely does a lot to convey, like you said, convey that sense of emotion, and like it, it definitely gives you. I feel like I say this a lot, but just it gives you the vibe, yeah, uh, which is. It's a. It gives you the vibe of the of the scene or of the panel in a really simple way, which yeah. I think is really good. Um, right, and you gotta lay you. You know, we have only have forty pages, so we need really need to like uh, sublimate every page and, and and make it a richer experience. And I think mm-hmm. that that achieves that <clears throat> for sure. Um, and so I I don't I have a question that I don't it, I don't want to get like make you say something you don't want to say or anything like that, but the book is a lot about family. So like, how did, um, how did you bring that? How did you bring yourself to the book? Like, how did your family familial relationships impact the book at all? Or am I hmm. reading into things? Hmm. I don't know. My family doesn't have that same makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you, it's dealing with loss and memory so I guess it was just more just of the humanistic family mm-hmm. approach. I don't think it necessarily yeah. like uh, portrays my family life. I mm-hmm. think while uh, 
a, a lot younger and with people even the, the the sexes of the characters mixed up Ajnaz actually reflects my life a lot more just in that uh, I was in a broken home in Plano Texas you know and and so as uh, a lot of our lead characters in Ajnaz are um, and so yeah I don't know uh, I'm not sure that there is a lot of uh, overlap when I was first writing the story it was in uh, especially in the pro story it was important to me at the time to 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 capture kind of these, um, you know, it's a, it's a Korean family or, or we're, you know, we're in the future in space. So, uh, mm-hmm. Korean, uh, might not have much meaning in that context anymore. And these, in this generational shift, but, you know, we're usually, you were using Korean coding on the numbers on their, on their outfits and their, their, their morphology. And so, uh, in the con- in the prose, I was really trying to like capture what uh, the dynamics of uh, this family as it might relate to a traditional modern Korean family of people that I had in my life and that I knew. Um, but you kind of kind of other than you know unless you decide to do caption boxes that are narrating stuff, you kind of lose that connectivity and detail that you can achieve in prose um, because now it's characters acting out. And so you really have to deliver that. And I, I didn't feel like we didn't really have the time or space or need for narrating via caption boxes, which is that's where you'd get that interior experience or maybe some, uh, um, you know, in prose you can get away, you know, uh, you can get away with exposition because by its very nature, uh, audiences are looking for exposition when you're writing prose, where a lot of the times it's singled out as, uh, you know, uh, an error or something in, in in comics or movies where they're like, oh, they just did an information dump in that dialogue. Well, you don't have a lot of chance. You can't have Charles Dickens come in and say it was the best of times, it was worst of times, or vice versa. Uh, uh, if you do want that stuff, you're having, uh, you know, Batman or Marv or whomever narrate the whole thing with this kind of pulp where you're getting it inside airs or Claremont is the perfect example, right? He's sitting there as, as a third person narrator like Dickens telling you what their psychology is, what storm thinks about this or why you're not, you know, outside of their dialogue and thought bubbles. He's oftentimes just saying like, here's what this how this character is emotionally reacting to this um that has fallen out of fashion right and so um and in 40 pages we we just didn't have that so uh this was all to say we lost some of that stuff that was embedded in the narrative of the prose text but for me it brought the characters to life when they're just in that intro interacting with each other when the the you know the 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 relationship between the siblings uh uh the the trauma that is happening around that's you know it's very off to the side but there's trauma there based on uh the death of the mother of the family that we don't uh we don't know what's happened there but it's clearly affecting his family so um yeah uh, I guess that's all our big roundabout saying, like, obviously I brought in my personal experiences with family to uh, Ghost Planet, but there's not like a one-to-one relationship there yeah. that you might find in uh, some of my other work. No, for sure. I just, uh, like I said, I, 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 I 
100% could have been reading into things and I, it seems like I was, <laughs> but um, I was just looking for something to, to, you know, like just to, I guess I was one of those things where I was looking for a deeper meaning when there wasn't one, you know? <laughs> and so, um, well, it like, was, it wasn't that there I was, you know, initially looking at figuring out um, as uh, an observer, but with research of how um, a family of explorers might be different if they came from a culture that was different than mine. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you just don't, uh, I think it's there. I think it's embedded in the story, um, but it's not as obvious without a narrator kind of like putting two and two together for the readers. Yeah. And you, you were talking about like information dumps and things like that, especially in like comics and movies. And the thing that those mediums have that, uh, you know, prose doesn't is that in comics, you know, you can always have the artist convey something. You can have them add a detail, add something that in prose, you just, that's, you, it's impossible. It just, it, you know what I mean? Just yeah. by the nature of the medium, it can't happen. But, um, and then you were talking about caption boxes and like, I personally, I don't know why, but I feel like this sense of guilt anytime I use a caption box like to describe what a character's feeling. I don't know why I, I do. It just feels really like old. I'm using it in a couple of stories I'm doing, but like one of them, it's like to convey, like it's about like a lot about anxiety and mental health and things. And so I'm conveying that aspect of it. And another one, it's kind of an homage because it's supposed to be a gritty detective thing. And so it's kind of that, but like, yeah, pulp, it's, pulp yeah, yeah, it just still, I don't know, for me, it just feels like, like I said, almost like a sense of guilt. Like I'm like, being like it's a cheap way to do it when i use a caption box and i'm like I, I, I was there with you when i was writing odd channels in the odd squad i felt the same way it'd been used a lot like um you know uh brubaker whose work i love he's doing the 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 captions i mean it, it and it just feels like if you're doing i think a part of this is probably the speed with which you have to turn out work so you don't uh, have time maybe for a lot of nuance always. And so you can achieve a lot by having narrative box. But I also feel like, it, you know, it's a, it's a tool in the toolbox that is pretty unique to comics. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, it should be considered. And I think um, I had, I, I don't know. I've often thought that um, Ajna's could have maybe used uh some uh, caption boxes to you to get in the head more of our lead character and to feel what she's feeling. Now, uh, Dennis Culver, the artist, captured her facial expressions perfectly. You know, it's very that kind of um, you see it from like Mark Miller rather. Uh, um, he, I, you know, he doesn't use a lot of I don't feel like narrative caption boxes for that sort of thing um, where you're getting into the head of the person. And so it creates a more cinematic experience, I think, where you really have to rely on the acting that the artist does for the characters. But, um, but then that's something that's, that can be missing too. Like you gain a lot by having a real actor on film act for a character and that becomes that character's identity. Whereas, um, you know, with, uh, comics, uh, you're leaning really hard on just, facial expressions, right? And body language. So you don't have voice and nuance and all those things that can uh, carry over like maybe a psychological experience that the caption boxes can come in and, and provide. Very, very, very true. Um, and it's just, like I said, that's just something I like, I did, like I said, I am getting on the caption box train, but like for a while there, it was like really hard for me to do. I, um, I'm with you. It was like, it became like maybe too trendy because you think about, um, 
like Frank Frank Miller and 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 Dark Knight and all that. I mean, he is so he has he'll have few like uh uh not Dark Knight Returns, but what were the sequel? You know, they have like competing right. captions where everybody has caption boxes yeah. that are the flashes are colored red and and Batman's are colored gray, so that they can you can tell who is thinking in that moment yeah. <laughs> as they all pile on top of each other. Yeah. Uh, uh, but it, so it's a unique tool, or it's a tool that's stolen from prose, but you get to put prose on top of of your images. That's a good point. Um, so my last question about like the actual writing and comics and Ghost Planet side of things um, sure. is, um, what um, are what are the some are there any like I don't know motifs or uh, themes that you that you think that you um, have that carry over between all your different works, like between Ghost Planet and the other things you've written. Is there anything that that binds those together? Maybe like a similar theme or a similar yeah. concept. Um, in my, I don't know, a lot of nihilism. Oftentimes, you know, like uh, a lot of times, uh, you know, uh, losing is inevitable, death is inevitable, the bad guys win. Um, I've noticed that's, uh, from some of my earliest comics work, um, especially when you're dealing with shorter work and you can turn things on there, you kind of have to rely on, on maybe playing with tropes to, to, to really make the piece sing you, so you can set up expectations and then, and then, and then undermine those in those final pages where, uh, the bad guy wins. <laughs> Death is uh, unavoidable. Uh, the universe is uncaring, etc. And so now I have a question that's unrelated to anything we've talked about. Um, yeah. It's just one that was on my mind from earlier um, okay. when I was I was watching Sandman. And so um, sure. this is just a, a I guess I don't know. If it's, it's just a are question they- that I was just thinking: Are are people? Is there anything truly selfless? Do you think? Do you think that people can really, cause like, I mean, I feel they said that in the book that like they were taught or in the show about like people being selfless. And I was just, what are people being, I don't know what they said now, but they said something that maybe I just asked myself, is anything really selfless? Right. What you're talking about uh, is an old Greek philosophy, right? Um, that anything we do um, is primarily motivated by self-service, such yeah. that if you give five dollars to uh, a ho- uh, someone without a home on the street, what you're getting in return is like feeling good about yourself. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, um, yeah, the the name of that philosophy is escaping me right now. It's a no worries. It's a common word that uh, that we use and often gets mischaracterized now about. Uh, being selfish, but it's just the observation that any um, uh, uh, any uh, magnanimous act is ultimately rooted in uh, self-preservation or or selfishness. So I think uh, you know I don't know I don't know if I I, I think you can uh, ascribe to that maybe at like uh, an almost uh, biological, uh, neuron firing basis of things, but, you know, our relationship between 
ourselves as conscious beings and our biology speaks to me that like if you think you are being magnanimous and are a magnanimous person without that then uh, then that holds like i see that there are truly selfless people in this world um and it's hard sometimes to see what any gain they might get from that so i think as a philosophy uh it can be uh enchanting and seem like it's true especially uh, given any individual's viewpoints, but I think when I look out in the world and see some of the people that are, that are, uh, I don't know, truly, uh, selfless that, that maybe it doesn't, I don't know. It's the same with, I used to think, you know, where in, uh, and I do, I still believe this, that we're in a material universe where the laws of physics, uh, apply we just don't maybe know all of them or haven't described all of them yet and so that there is only uh, if god if god existed and were omniscient um he could tell you every step he could tell you the end of your life or the end of the world or whatever um i don't believe i think i think chaos uh theory undermines all of that and um uh while I don't think there's an intelligence behind the universe, I just I also don't think that there's only one outcome. I think there's too much tiny randomness that subverts the idea uh, of causality to that degree. <laughs> like I said, I, I just wanted I just I was thinking about it earlier and I was just like, this is a good podcast question. And so <laughs> that's where that came from. Usually I don't get that, um, uh, you know, introspective. Honestly, the, hopefully the episode that comes out before this that I record tomorrow um, will hopefully be in that vein, um, but we'll so we'll see. Hopefully, this is two episodes in a row. If not, I apologize. Okay, um, so it's one of the four schools of Greek philosophy, cynicism. So we talk okay. about cynicism all the time. The original yeah. idea, uh, the nugget of the philosophy of cynicism, is not is that uh, every everyone behaves selfishly, but without but that isn't a judgment on the act itself. It's the idea of pointing out that um, whether you're aware of it or, or not, you are reaping benefits uh, yeah. from uh, being altruistic, whether mm -hmm. you recognize it or not. Yeah. And I was going to say, like, I, I don't know, I kind of now what I'm thinking is like, it doesn't matter, even if it is subconsciously to help yeah. yourself, it you still did something good. Yeah, you know, sure. and so yeah. why does it like who gives a crap? You know what I mean? Like, why yeah. does it matter if I just did something good, even if I did it for myself internally? I didn't get anything real out of it. I, just, I mean, I did. But like, so what? You know, it, I still did something good and I still helped myself and someone else, hopefully. So, like, yeah. I guess why does it matter? Um, <laughs> I, I guess I learned something about myself today. Um, <laughs> well, maybe you should uh, pick up a, a book on the ancient school of cynicism. Yeah, I know. I, I, I need to read more just like philosophy and things like that. I just It's something that interests me, but I just every time I try to sit down and do it, I'm like, I just can't. Um, yeah, well, maybe I, was a, just I was a philosophy major, and a lot of it, you're learning the history of uh, big ideas that were wrong. Yeah. So. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I just like, I just have the, don't have the attention span. Like what I need is like podcasts just cause I can put those on. Like I'm weird and I've listened to podcasts while I lift weights. And uh -huh. so unless like I've lately, it's like I started lifting heavy again. And so like I have to put on like music for that. But for the most part, if I'm just like lifting and like, I'm always lifting heavy, but you know, like if I'm 
if I have to be in the zone, I'll put on music. Otherwise, I'll just listen to a podcast and like learn and like just think about stuff, which kind of just gets me in my in just in the out of my head, I guess. Um, so I just I that's the best way rather than reading for me is a lot of podcasts and things. Um, but the last question I have for you um, is at the end, I always ask a just a random question. Um, tell me about the time that you laughed the hardest or one of the times that you've laughed the hardest. Oh boy. I mean, there's all, I mean, every, the, the laughing the hardest has to be like, you know, with a friend sleeping over an eighth grade or whatever, where you just like doubled over all night, but I don't, or, you know, you can't, <laughs> I, get, I don't know what uh, the impetus uh, for any of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. Uh, uh, you know, here, here, this is what, this is what comes to mind because uh, it is a specific example I, uh, me and a buddy saw South Park, Bigger, Longer, uh, Uncut, in theaters, uh, opening day, and I had stomach cramp. I mean, it was bad. I thought I was, uh, just that first song, Uncle Fucker, I, uh, we were, I was in pain. Like, I didn't think I was going to be able to breathe. Uh, it was so bad. And so I'll give that as, as, as my answer, just cause it's such a, a strong me- uh, memory and, uh, it's a reference to something in, in pop culture. So that, uh, the, the first viewing in the theater of South Park, bigger, longer, uncut, just, uh, really, really was a punch to the gut. Yeah. There you go. I like, I just, I don't know. That's, like I said, I always ask something just different just to, to kind of end the vibe, but. I, I and then I always give my own answer. And like, oh, I, I, I have a second. I'll have a second. I don't know if it's it's more that this story is better um, than it is that I hadn't laughed harder, but it did uh, deal with me laughing involuntarily, which was at an outdoor funeral <laughs> for uh, a, a, a family member, but pretty far removed. Yeah. And, um, I'm going to be vague, but you know, it was out in the Texas Hill Country. And I looked down and the woman standing in front of me has just ants crawling up the inside of her hose. And I'm, it's just one of those things where my shoulders start shaking. You're trying to like, Oh my God. And then my family members are, you know, starting to elbow me and I'm like, you know, gesturing and then they're seeing, and then their elbows. And now people are getting mad at me from, you know, (laughs) around the way. And so, uh, uh, I'm sure I've laughed harder, but that was probably the most uncomfortable and, but also uncontrollable where like, obviously you're not supposed to be laughing. Yeah. And it, only because this bizarre situation is happening in front of me and she's not reacting at all. It's like she, yeah. I, she still doesn't know. And maybe, which is to say also I misinterpreted it. They were on the outside of her hose, so she couldn't feel it, but it, she, I think it's still and right. it's crawling up her. her yeah. <laughs> Inside or outside. I still think it's pretty funny, but um, <laughs> just laughing at a funeral is funny. I know it's not appropriate and someone's going to be mad at me for that, but it's, it's funny. Um, yeah. uh, I, the, I don't know. The only thing I can think of is the times I've, um, there's a picture of my brother at my parents' house of him as like a six month old baby. Cause they took pictures of all of us as six months. And I, he, I know he's a baby and like, he can't like control himself or anything, but he just has the funniest facial expression on his face that I just can't help it. And then the last time that I laughed the hardest, I think was me and my, I showed my dad a video that I'd seen on another podcast, um, of a, this sound terrible of a moose getting hit by a car and he gets hit by a car and like the moose goes like flying and flips through the air like four times. And it's, it's, I don't know why it's bad. <laughs> it's not funny, 
but that's what makes it funnier. And like, I don't know. It's just that's just our sense of humor. We're both like, is it okay? Is it real? And I'm like, I don't know. It's just funny. Um, well, that classic, uh, the woman at the the news anchor at the grape stomping um, uh, festival or whatever, where she falls off the the yeah. stage, and all of you you just hear her going, oh, oh, <laughs> it's that same thing. Yeah, um, <laughs> like like the funeral, anything that you're not supposed to laugh at is always funnier. Yeah, yeah that yeah. just makes things funnier by itself. Um, so that is all I have for you. Um, where can we find you online? Well, I'm at Jeff, J-E-F-1-F underscore UK. That was my rock name. My band was Americans UK. I was Jeff UK. Uh, on Twitter and Instagram, you can go to Jeff Wrights, J-E-F-W-R-I-T-E-S dot com and see uh, uh, everything that we've been talking about from my website today, including pinned to the top right now is all the final order cutoffs for ghost planet um which i guess won't matter at this stage but um you can see we have you know um talk to your retailer we have a one in ten mike alred uh variant uh uh, chase variant and then we have a one in 50 test fowler glow in the dark variant um uh and then we're gonna have more variants being pushed out we've got some store exclusive variants where um uh, that some stores are gonna have we're gonna have we're gonna be on whatnot uh we're gonna have a store like a a web store variant and all that so uh we're, we're leaning into the variant covers um and uh yeah please check it out uh we've had a lot of good retailer response so i think you're gonna see it in stores i don't think it's gonna be super hard to find or anything but also i think where scout really rose to uh even more prominence in the last two years is their direct to customer experience Mm -hmm. yep um and so that's what we're really psyched about um and so uh right now you can go on if you type in ghost planet to to scouts uh website you can get the uh the the limited edition ash can and you can get we've got mugs and hoodies with the mike alred cover and the uh, we've got lots of cool uh clothing chucks you know we've got some chuck taylors i don't i don't they might be off off brand we got some canvas high top shoes i should say (laughs) well with some of our imagery on there so i you know it's great scout uh, seems wow. uh, really focused on selling comics, which, you know, I, I, that's not necessarily the, the sales aspect seems to be a little passive by some publishers sometimes once they uh, once everything's done. And so uh, but they really seem to be uh, proactive and doing things to sell as many books as they can. So we're really happy to be with them. And um, we're just psyched for it. We're really proud of this work. Uh uh, Sean and I both, we just think we both kind of leveled up here a little and told a really engaging story with that packs a lot of punch in only 40 pages. Nice. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was just looking at you. I'm into the I'm into the women's shoes more than I'm into the men's shoes. That says about me. But um, I wish they had the white toe. If they had the white toe, that would be the, ki- the kicker for me. But um, no, they got plenty of stuff. And I just looked at the Mike Allred cover and that's like, was that you or was that through Scout? Like, did that they come up with that? You got that. Did yeah. Again, my buddy, Dean, he's, he knows everybody. He, wow. um, he like just flipped us Mike's email uh, or, or to Sean. Sean had already 
worked on, he's got a book he's pitching around called The Pedestrian, and he had gotten Mike Allred to do some work for that. And so when this came once, Scout came on board and we were talking about variant covers, we went to we went to Mike Allred. And then I guess Sean also has some sort of uh, relationship with Tess Fowler to some degree. They've worked together in the past. And so it was Sean that kind of organized those ones. Yeah. That's pretty. That's a pretty good deal. I assume this is just something I heard from one of those shops I interviewed. Like, um, they said that. I mean, so that just proves that how easy it is to get a like. I mean, obviously you knew people who knew people, but to get a well-known comic creator to do just a cover for your book, because that's yeah, one of the that things and, that they that and money. Yeah, well, um. that, yeah. <laughs> that's what, but that's one of the things that was recommended to me is they said reach out to. Um, or just not me specifically, but just to people is reach out to like well-known creators for covers because yeah. those will one pull in people to your book, but it's also not usually as expensive as you think it is. Yeah. I or, mean, obviously you know, it costs more, but it's not as expensive. You think like, Oh my God, my God cover is going to cost me, you know, a bajillions of dollars, but like it's more, it's better than what you expect, but obviously you still have that connection too, which is a big factor. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah. And you can get, you know, uh, it's easier to budget for one cover than for, yeah. you know, well, you know, for a full comic. Exactly. Yeah. Um, for sure. I just, sorry, I got off on that tangent. Um, no, anyway, as always, you can find Forum Press Comics at F Press Comics on Twitter, Forum Press Comics on Instagram and Facebook. And um, like and subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. I think we're everywhere. I'm not really sure. Um, this is episode, I don't know, 33, 34, something like that. Um, we, so we have, a, we have a lot of other episodes you can go back and listen to. And I think there are some in there that I think are really, really good, especially like in the first 10. In the first 10 episodes, there's probably like three or four that I, I think are still my best of all time. Um, <laughs> anyway, that's all I have. I forgot Scout has a social. I'm sorry. I'm now on Scout's website and I got off track. Um, anyway. Yeah, we, yeah, they have a subscription box. Yeah, we'll also I be, we'll be debuting the comic at New York Comic Con. So Okay. Uh, that's pretty awesome. There'll be a, there should be a New York Comic Con exclusive, which I think is going to be uh, the Virgin art for the uh, the, the Mike Allred uh, Virgin art cover. Um, and then we'll also and so uh, and then Sean and I also have a table in Artist Alley, so come and find us. And then at the end of October, uh, Sean and I are both guests at Baltimore Comic Con, uh, so we'll be we have a whole Brooklyn table with uh, 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 again the aforementioned Dean Haspiel, uh, uh, Sean, me, uh, I think uh, a whole Brooklyn crew, Whitney Matheson. So that's gonna be nice. Awesome. Good deal. So if you're if you're in New York Comic Con, then go go check it out because that'll be after this. So um, Great. yeah. Anyway, um, thanks for coming on, Jeff. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Kyler. It was uh, a pleasure to be here. I've been following your stuff, and if you have, if you still need a couple pages for your food anthology, I have a food comic. I didn't know that was happening. Uh, I, I have a food comic with breakdowns at least already that I could I could show you for that. All right. Yeah. I mean, definitely send send me send that to me in an email. I mean, I'll I'll take it. I mean, the only I'll. Send me an email and I'll get back to you with, um, sure, sure, with sure, the breakdowns sure. of it. Yeah, because like we we want like specific page counts because of the way it's going to work and it's going to have recipes in it. It's going to be a cool thing. Um, anyway, yeah, go pay attention to our stuff because we have we have we have several cool things coming. One that I haven't announced yet that is creator owned, plus the anthology, plus Smash, which is coming in twenty twenty four, and then maybe something else that I'm uh, currently talking to a creator about. Um, awesome. Anyway, um, thanks for coming on. Have a good one. Hey, thank you so much. You too.